Welcome back to the Servants of Grace podcast. Today we continue our study through the doctrine of Scripture, looking at the clarity of Scripture. In theology, we speak of the perspicuity of Scripture. The word perspicuity simply means clarity. Oddly enough, the word perspicuity is one of the more unclear words we could use to speak of clarity. What's more, when we say we believe in the perspicuity of Scripture, people sometimes get the wrong impression that we are implying that everything in Scripture is entirely clear and easy to understand, but that's not the case. We know this both from experience and because the Word of God tells us that not everything in it is easy to understand. The Westminster Confession in point 1.7 explains that we believe when we speak of the perspicuity of Scripture that all things in Scripture are not alike plain themselves, nor alike clear unto all. And yet those things that are necessary to be known, to believe, and to be to observe for salvation are so clearly propounded and open in some places of scripture or another that not only the learned but the unlearned in a due use of the ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. In other words, not everything in scripture is easy to understand, but what we must understand in order to be saved is clear. You see, the hard sayings of Jesus found aren't only found in the gospels but throughout scripture since Jesus is the ultimate author of scripture as the eternal word of God. Well, some t- several Old Testament passages affirm an expectation that the words of God are able to be understood. Deuteronomy 6, 6-7 says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. But surely talking of God's word when you walk on the way was not limited only to one verse about marriage or relationships with neighbors or the worship of God. For children naturally seek not partial discussions but the bottom line. The final result of all the words say about a topic. They seek teaching that they may follow that very day. They seek direct answers for what to believe and how to live. They seek in simple form systematic theology and the whole Bible ethical teaching. And thus the command to teach children assumes an ability to summarize and make plain at some level the whole counsel of God regarding many different passages. Other passages in the Old Testament also assume that God's word are able to be understood. Psalm 19 verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And the idea here seems to be that God's testimony make even simple people to be wise people, if they make the wise the simple, if they make wise the simple. And then surely they can make everyone else wise as well. A similar idea is found in Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your words give light and imparts understanding to the simple. And elsewhere in the same Psalm, the metaphor of a lamp conveys the idea of imparting understanding, namely how to live in the ordinary events on the path of life. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, Psalm 119, 105 says. The Apostle Peter expressed a similar view of the Old Testament writings in 2 Peter 119. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a light shining in a dark place until the dawn, day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. And there's a similar emphasis in the New Testament. Jesus himself and his teaching, his conversations and his disputes never responds to any questions without a hint of blame without a hint of ever blaming the old testament for being unclear and even while speaking to the first century people who were removed from david by about 1000 years and from abraham by about 2000 years jesus still assumes that such people are able to read and to rightly understand the old testament and in a day when it's common for people to tell us how hard it is to interpret scripture rightly we would do well to remember that not once in the gospels do we ever hear jesus saying anything 
anything like this. I sympathize with your frustration. The scriptures relevant to this topic contained unusually complex hermeneutical difficulties. Instead, whatever whatever he is speaking to scholars or untrained common people, Jesus always responds. His response always assumes that the blame for misunderstanding any of teacher is not to be placed on the scriptures themselves, but on those who misunderstand or fail to accept what is written. Again and again, he answers questions with statements like this. Have you not read what David did? Or have you not read in the law, Matthew uh, 12, 3 and verse 5 say? Have you not read, Matthew 19, 4 says? Have you not read in the scriptures, Matthew 21, 42? Have you not read what he said to you by God, Matthew 22, 31 says? Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not things, John 3, 10 says. You are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God, Matthew 22, 29. On the road to Emmaus, he rebuked two disciples, saying, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, Luke 24, 25 says. So the blame for failing to understand is always on the reader, never on the scriptures. Most of the New Testament epistles are written not to church leaders, but to entire congregation. One example, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, and many other examples. Just open the beginning of the epistles. You see, the exhortation to read scripture publicly also affirms an expectation that or Ordinary Christians in ordinary congregation could understand the scriptures. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. 1 Timothy 4.13 says. And whenever the New Testament quotes the Old Testament about 300 times, they assume they have understood the Old Testament rightly, and that readers will realize that they are understanding it rightly, or at least that there is a right interpretation that the New Testament right authors can appeal to. And this is true not only for individual verses, but also for collections of verses that they compile to prove a certain theme, such as the universal sinfulness of all mankind, the majesty and deity of Christ, or the nature of faith. So we should define this clarity of Scripture to say that Scripture was able to be understood by its original readers, but that does not necessarily mean we are able to understand it today. No. We don't need to add this qualification because Jesus repeatedly holds people responsible for understanding the Old Testament writings. Although many of them were written more than 1,000 years in the past, and the New Testament writers similarly expect their readers to know and to be able to understand the Old Testament rightly. Therefore, the purposecuity or clarity of Scripture requires us to believe that it is still able to be understood rightly by readers today. So the only appropriate conclusion that these pa- from these passages is that Scripture repeatedly affirms that it is able to be understood. Not only certain verses or statements, but the meaning of the, the whole of Scripture on many topics is able to be understood by God's people. See, these affirmations are not limited to understanding the basic way of salvation, or understood only major themes or understood only certain topics or certain parts. These are affirmations about the nature of Scripture in any part, apparently grounded in a deep assumption that the Scriptures are communication from a God who is able to clearly communicate to His people. As such a quality of Scripture seems necessary if God is going to hold us morally accountable for obeying the Word. And if He has given us commands, as He has, that are that are maybe sometimes confusing or most people can't understand, then we, then we must wonder how he can rightly hold us accountable for obeying something we cannot understand. So we need to understand that commentators on scripture during the medieval era developed a complex meaning of interpreting the Bible known as the quadriga. And according to the medieval quadriga, even every biblical passage have a fourfold meaning, a literal sense, a moral sense, an allegorical sense, and an analogical sense. And to know the literal or the most obvious meaning of a passage, that's a good thing. But to know the higher, moral, allegorical, and 
antagogical meaning was even better. Precious few, however, could attain to these other more hidden meanings of Scripture. This tended to obscure the meaning and the significance of the Bible for the uneducated, and it led to all sorts of fanciful interpretations among those who had more learning. Only the most advanced thinkers, for example, could see that the census recorded in Numbers was not really about the number of Israelite soldiers, but rather the several steps that it takes for a soul to ascend to God. Of course, there is nothing in Scripture itself that justifies such a view of biblical interpretation. In fact, if the Bible teaches anything about itself, it is that its basic message is clear enough for anyone, even a child, to understand. This idea is known as the clarity of Scripture, which is also called the perspicuity of Scripture. It was a doctrine that the Protestant reformers embraced, and they endeavored to return to the church to the clearest literal meaning of the Bible. That the Bible is clear enough for even a child to understand it is assumed in passages such as Deuteronomy 6, 6-9, which we read earlier. Moses instruct the people of Israel to teach the divinely real commandments of God to their children. And this implies that the children are able to understand and apply the word of God as their parents teach it to them. But note that it also is enough to teach children. And that's a note particularly notable given that most people to whom Moses originally spoke these words might not have much in the way of education. And many of them would have been unable to read. And neither of these factors was a barrier to understanding enough about the scriptures, to be able to understand enough and to teach them to others. See, the clarity of scripture does not deny that some passages of scripture are difficult to understand. 2 Peter 3, 15-16 tells us this. It does not mean that anyone who studies the the word of God can discern the basic message of salvation and what it means to please the Lord. Many people treat the Bible as a puzzle or a secret code that is full of hidden meetings, accessible only to a select few. But nothing could be further from the truth. Scripture can be understood by anyone who puts in the most basic effort to read it in its context. We can read and hear the scriptures with profit, knowing that God's message to us is clear. This is why scripture can be known. The clarity of scripture means that the various texts of scriptures and the scripture as a whole have a meaning, and that meaning can be known. That means that the clarity of scripture assures us that we can proclaim the gospel message with confidence, for we can know what it says and what it means. This also means that the clarity of scripture reminds us that we as Christians should all be uh, reading scripture daily for our whole lives. The clarity of scripture encourages us that we can teach biblical doctrine to our churches. We need not limit ourselves to teaching Pauline theology or Old Testament theology, which are both valuable in their own right, but we should teach the whole Bible, and so should every pastor in every church. The clarity of scripture encourages us that we can teach biblical ethics to our churches, not just Pauline ethics or Moses ethics or Old Testament ethics. We have whole Bible ethics with clear applications to ordinary people's lives today. These two points that I just said, three and four, show us why the clarity of Scripture is absolutely essential to any effectual authority of the Scripture in people's lives. You see, without the clarity of Scripture, someone could say, I believe fully in the absolute divine authority of Scripture, but I have no idea what it requires me to believe or how it requires me to live. In this way, if Scripture has no clarity, its authority is effectively nullified in real life. But we need to also understand, especially those with advanced training in the Old and the New Testament studies, to consider use, using some of your research and writing to help the church learn what the whole Bible teaches 
teaches about some of the most important issues of the day, especially ethi- ethical issues. There's a temptation among academics to only speak to the wider academic community that does not share a belief that the whole of Scripture speaks clearly to doctrinal or ethical topics, and therefore never to publish anything that, that claims to explain what the entire Bible teaches to the church. It, this might be the case, more than people know, about how to interpret the Bible with academic precision. The less willing they are to the, explain to the church what the whole Bible says. Who then is supposed to do this? Only the pastors with less training than the professional Bible scholars? Only the lay people with less training than the pastors? Is that really what God intends for us? If the teaching of Scripture is able to be understood not only in its parts but also in its whole, then shouldn't those with the most training be giving the church examples of how to understand the whole? If we as evangelical scholars do not do this, then the clarity of Scripture and much of its message may be covered up and hidden in our generation, not by a priesthood that keeps the Bible in a Latin language that nobody else can understand by a new scholarly priesthood that by its action implies that nobody today is sufficiently well trained enough to teach the church what the whole Bible says about anything. The loss to the church is immense. Next, Bible translations should be encouraged. The second implication of the clarity of Scripture is that the church should be constantly giving people the Bible in their own language, that is, in translation. In contrast to the Quran, which Islam teaches cannot be properly translated, the Bible teaches and contains the justification for its own translation because the New Testament authors frequently quote directly from the Septuagint, a Greek translation of the Old Testament, and use it as the very word of God. And by this process, they justify the work of translation of Scripture into other languages. And so the conviction that people should be able to have a translated Bible in their own language is based in large measure on this very doctrine, the clarity of Scripture. If Scripture is able to be understood by ordinary Christians, not perfectly, but quite well, and if Scripture is able to be translated and gives warrant for its own translation, and then the church should eagerly translate Scripture into the language languages that people speak and understand today. This this conviction actually transformed history. A conviction about the clarity of Scripture led Wycliffe and Tyndale and others to risk their lives in order to translate the Bible into English. A conviction about the clarity of Scripture led Martin Luther to risk his life and spend nearly a year in hiding in order to translate the New Testament into German and later the Old Testament as well. A conviction about the Clarity of Scripture has led thousands of Wycliffe Bible translators and many others to devote their entire lives to the translation of Scripture into thousands of languages. But the need to translate does not imply that translations of the Bible should be rendered in the simple, simplest street language immediately understandable to 12-year-olds or even immediately understandable to non-Christian adults. This is because the Bible itself, as written to its original audience, were not written in the simplest languages and, for the most part, was not written primarily to non-Christians but to believing communities of God's people. The most faithful translation into contemporary language should be a translation for its primary readership aim at adult Christians, which was a primary audience for most of the New Testament when it was originally written. In today's terms, a Bible translation should aim primarily at adult Christian readers at at its target audience. We may appreciate the desire behind a dynamic equivalent translation, a desire to make scripture more clear to readers. But we also need to object that such translations simplify a passage so much that the details of meaning that could be rendered into English are simply left out. Such a 
process ultimately undermines readers' confidence in their ability to understand Scripture. Because Sunday after Sunday, their pastor have to correct the test with text uh, they're preaching on with additional details of meaning that are not found in the dynamic equivalent translation. Take one example, 1 Kings 1.10 in the New Living Translation. And so David died and was buried in the city of David. But then the pastor explains the Hebrew text actually says that David slept at the fathers and was buried in the city of David, which is a rich, rich image that hints at a future resurrection and reunion with ancestors who had died. Or 2 Corinthians 5.7 in the NIV says, We live by faith, not by sight. But the pastor explains, the new Greek text actually says, We walk by faith, not by sight. We are walking as a metaphor that conveys the ideas of life as a journey towards a goal. Life as something in which we make regular progress. And soon the about listeners are bound to object. So if you believe the Bible is clear, why not let me see what it actually says? I can understand sleeping as a metaphor for dying and walking as a metaphor for life. If scripture is able to be understood in all its richness, then why not let me see as much of its richness as is possible in the English language? So the third implication of the clarity of scripture is that churches should strongly encourage personal Bible reading by every Christian, as well as regular small group Bible studies. In addition, in every nation, the church should be in the forefront of advocating universal literacy. In Northern Europe, one of the greatest consequences of the Reformation was a great emphasis on universal literacy. Both boys and girls were taught to read because parents wanted their children to be able to read the Bible and to teach it to their children. The doctrine of the clarity of Scripture, where it is believed, leads directly to universal literacy in a nation. Sadly, Roman Catholic Southern Europe did not hold to this doctrine or follow this pattern of training children to read. The authoritative interpretation of Scripture was given to the faithful by the priests, and so lay people were not encouraged to read the Scriptures for themselves, lest they misunderstand it. Such contrasting beliefs regarding Scripture led to widespread differences in the general literacy of a population, so that the rate of literacy in England in 1900 was only 3%, but it was still 48% in Italy, 56% in Spain, and an astounding 78% in Portugal. It should be added, however, that more recent Roman Catholic teaching has incurred widespread reading of Scripture by lay people. So the last implication here of the clarity of Scripture is that Bible teaching should be a process repeatedly pointing to the words of the text or highlighting the words possibly on a PowerPoint in order to explain and directly apply them. Preaching and teaching should not give the impression that a good sermon or a lecture can consists mostly of gems of wisdom that only highly trained scholars can discover. Where does the right attitude come from? The attitude of pastors towards their congregation in preaching is often an imitation of the attitude they learn from their instructors in Bible college or seminary. So if a lecturer conveys an attitude that says, my goal is to show you how impossible the task of interpretation is for all but the greatest minds, then that burdens the student and can lead them to teach pastors and other people, you know what? You can't understand the Bible. But here in this uh, this talk, this study, this segment, we've talked about the clarity of Scripture. And that it, that means that we should be reading the Bible. We should open it because the Bible is clear. And that comes, as we've talked about, the inspiration, inerrancy, infallibility, and authority of Scripture. The Scriptures are clear. So open it, read it, study, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Until next time, when we talk about, we'll talk about next time, um, the illumination of scripture and what that means and why it matters and all of that. If you enjoy this episode, I want to encourage you to tell your friends about our podcast here. And until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you.